Where Sorry. are you gonna put that beer while we're talking? Um, I was gonna put it here. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Just, <laughs> yeah, I just didn't want to. Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, okay. There's a Let's lot go. of beer on the table. Eat, drinking beer, <laughs> eating peanuts. Yeah, yes. this is a true hawker lifestyle at like 4 Life to 6. It's our happy hour. Food and drink. Food and drink. Part yeah. of our life. Uh. Yeah. Correct, correct, yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Political Agenda, brought to you by New Narrative. Political Agenda is our fortnightly podcast on contemporary issues and current affairs in Singapore and it's brought to you by New Narrative, a platform for research, journalism, art and community organisation. I'm your host PJ Thumb and uh, unfortunately Kirsten Han is not with us this week, she is flying the flag in Seoul at the um, Asian Investigative Journalism Conference along with our consulting editor for Jakarta and Papua, Febriana Ferdaus. So we will miss Kirsten this week, but uh, she will be back next week. Today, we're going to talk about something that is intensely um, part of the Singapore culture to the point where I think we nominated it for um, what was it UNESCO? Some sort of yeah, that's right. UNESCO U- Heritage. UNESCO Heritage, UNESCO, right? UNESCO uh, Cultural Heritage for Intangible Something 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 Something. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we are we're actually sitting in the middle of Chinatown complex in a hawker center, talking with three genuine hawkers who are going to tell us all about this today. And uh, I think hawker centers, hawker culture. The hawker industry, the food industry, has been in the news a lot over the past couple of weeks. Uh, there's been controversy over hawker centers, over uh, you know this uh, rising rents, social enterprises, and uh, more broadly, I think Singapore's the hawker centers and their place in Singapore's uh, society, uh, economy, and culture. So okay, so joining us today, three hawkers who have their stalls at Chinatown Complex. Um, first up, Lim Tia Liang, who sells craft beer at Smith Street Taps. He's uh, also a hawker center enthusiast who has a very deep and impressive knowledge of Singapore's hawker centers and also runs his own chocolate company, Demo Choco. Hello, Tia Liang. Hello. How are you today? Um, I'm drinking beer now, so very, very, very good. Um, this is why I set up the meeting to be at Chinatown Complex. <laughs> yeah, so I have easy access to beer. Right. <laughs> okay, and then also with us today is Mr. Arthur Wong, who is very, very old school, so to speak. He started as a roadside hawker alongside his father at three or four uh, years old at Yutong Sen Street. Uh, hello, Arthur. Yeah, the skill are uh, inherited uh, from my father. <laughs> uh, so uh, I still uh, have a uh, can be say, uh, uh, have some followers uh, <laughs> <laughs> or else I uh, can't can survive. <laughs> can I just ask, you started at three years old, how old are you now? No, I, I'm not started in uh, three years old. My father uh, started uh, selling porridge uh-huh. when I was uh, about three years old. Okay. Yeah, he started at 10 yeah. years old. Oh. Uh, <laughs> now, <laughs> big difference. <laughs> now, now I'm uh, 73. Wow. Wow, and you've been doing this your whole life. And you moved here from the, you were a street hawker, you said, and then yeah. you moved here to Chinatown Complex yeah. in 1983. Yeah, in 1983. And you've been here ever since. Yeah, since, since then. Wow, that's a long time. Okay. 
Um, and finally, last but definitely not least, uh, Yu Ting, who has just actually started being a hawker. She started last December 2017, as of, uh, well, the, we're recording this uh, in October 2018. So she represents kind of the other end of the spectrum, um, someone who's very, very new to the industry. Hello, welcome, Yu Ting. Hello, hi. So you used to be an auditor, you said? Yes, uh, previously an auditor for about six years. But uh, my interest in food um, brought me here and I decided to set up a hawker store with my friend Alex. Yeah. So this one year has been quite tough on us and we have been learning a lot from Uncle Arthur Wong. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Um, I should mention, of course, that uh, uh, the, the three of them have their stalls next to each other, uh, Smith Street Taps, and uh, Uncle Arthur has uh, Chinatown Sun Sing, and then uh, Yi Ting has Stachi, uh, which sells Japanese fusion food. Right, so if you are in Chinatown Complex, do stop by. But let's start first, right, uh, with you, Jia Liang, because as as just another Singaporean, right? I have this sort of vague idea that the whole hawker industry is in crisis, that uh, rents are skyrocketing, that hawkers are leaving the industry in droves, that you can't make a living anymore, that there are a lot of problems with how the whole industry is regulated, that food quality is declining. How true is this stereotype? Um. This stereotype is quite uh, true, I would say. In terms of how you look at hawker centres today, uh, turnovers and everything, uh, it's a very big issue in Singapore because what's happening is basically uh, the median age for hawkers is about close to 50, so half a century old, so as old as Singapore um, as it is already. So when you think about that kind of age, like um, I always joke to my friends, like um, if you want to have hawker food, have it now. Because in 20 years, everyone is going to die. <laughs> it's nothing, uh, and there really won't be much uh, left in, uh, in, in Singapore. La. Um, so I don't think it's a very big exaggeration to say um, that the hawker industry is in crisis. Uh, the, what I differ from is um, how it is in crisis. Uh, and this crisis is... Um, on both sides, basically. So this crisis is in some ways... Oh, I sound like Trump, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> this, this crisis is um, both uh, on a hawker, both a hawker issue and as well as institutionally uh, both and also a governmental issue. So in the side of the hawkers, which is what we hear most often these days, um, hawkers, uh, you know, long hours, um, uh, uncertain revenue... Uh, uh, high rent, all these things are very uh, common in 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 in, uh, in in terms of narrative, in terms of for hawkers, um, and because of that, we do create this kind of impression that hawkering is difficult trade, and it is. Uh, and if you look at uh, a lot of hawkers and when they do uh, uh, videos uh, on on many other um, um, websites and stuff like that, when people ask them, you know, like. Who you recommend to to be a hawker? <laughs> Immediately they'll say, "No, I'm not going to recommend anyone to be a hawker. I don't want anyone to be a hawker. Hawkering is such a difficult work. Please go and stay in your aircon room and <laughs> do what you're doing eight hours a day. You earn so much more money." 
and 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 so we have that side, and on the other side we have uh, uh, our prime minister who, in the national days, really said we're going to build more hawker centres, uh, and I hope more people will become hawkers. So you know, um, it's quite funny because uh, the people who are actually doing the work are saying, please don't be a hawker, right. and then we also have the people who are not doing the work, who is basically saying, yes, please be a hawker, uh, and and that's kind of the. That's where we are in terms of um, rhetoric. In terms it's kind of kinda indicative, right? If it the is, people actually is. doing the work are the ones saying don't don't get in don't get in this industry. Don't get in this yeah. industry. No, I, I think everyone will, will will tell you that this industry is is a bit warped la. It's very hard to make money, so to speak. Um, for me, that's one part. The other part is also um, institutionally how we have structured hawker centers. Um, hawker centers have never been. A profit-making enterprise. That's something that that needs to be clear. Um, in the seventies, in the eighties, when uh, when uh, people were moving into hawker centers, uh, in terms of rental, you know, it was very, very, it was relatively cheap compared to um, um, opening up in a let's say a private uh, uh, shop house or, or or even like a hawker uh, kopitiam. So that 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 appeal was there. That's why a lot of hawkers. Um, Entered the trade around like the seventies and eighties. Right, but I understand also like that things have changed a lot though. Um, I mean, is is hawking today or hawkering, which which um, sort of uh, hawking hawking, hawking should be the right word. Yeah, right to hawk. Yeah, hawking. <laughs> okay, okay never earlier, mind. This is earlier you said sudden, uh, suddenly hawkering. Gone. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean hawkering in the sense that I w- I would call it hawkering because how Singapore has developed the. Um, has dealt with the problem of street food is um, rather unique. Uh, as I tell a lot of people, is that uh, street food is always a uh, nuisance and a hindrance uh, uh, when states modernize. Uh, because when you right. think uh, when you think about in uh, America, you know, even in uh, even in other parts of the world, even in Europe, you know, uh, how street vendors were treated was. Essentially, they immediately were chased off the streets, and if they didn't uh, move into private property and so on and so forth, they, they couldn't practice uh, their trade, lah, so to speak. Um, and so, that's kind of interesting for me because uh, street food is not necessarily an Asian phenomenon. Street food is basically all around the world. Um, when you look at France in the early 20th century, uh, what they used to have was um, butchers that would go from town to town because right. meat was much scarcely eaten then and they would go from town to town during harvest season and then they would like say oh all these pigs you rear right I'll slaughter them for you I'll cure the meats for you and you all can have a big harvest party and I'll move on to the next town oh, right so that's okay. how that's how they practice their trade as veteran hawkers so uh-huh. so it's interesting to see that you know that, that Asia has that kind of same uh, mirror you know and, and it's not so that's that's what I kind of mean by hawkering. It's not unique right. to Southeast Asia and not even to Singapore. Uncle Arthur, if I can ask you, you started as a on the streets. Yeah, right? on the street. Yeah, but now, but in '83, you move into a stall, and now you're a stall. How how has things changed in the? You've been doing this for sixty years. How do you feel things have changed? Uh, actually, are uh, changing a lot. Uh. like youngster, they refuse uh, to take over the business, and uh, most of the hawkers also uh, uh, refuse uh, to encourage them to come in. Uh. Yeah. And 
because uh, a lot of people now uh, when they are do their cooking uh, they don't like doing uh, the traditional way of uh, cooking right uh, seasoning uh, cooking hour uh, how you uh, cook this uh. so actually uh, they are like uh, what what you say uh, try try to um, uh, shortcut everything uh. so that's why uh, nowadays uh, you can uh, hardly uh, find any good uh, many good food uh, in hawker center they try to cut short and uh, actually it's very bad for them no? uh. And uh, one thing uh, is that when you move to a place uh, like uh, have a heavy traffic, customer traffic, uh, then they will do anyhow. Anyway, uh, I can uh, cook it for you. Uh, then they just uh, just cook. Right. Uh, but then, why, why do you think this has happened? You know, why are hawkers pressured to lower standards yeah. like that? so much now is it is it cost is it about cost i think maybe uh, they want to do a cost uh, cost cutting uh. mm-hmm. and do you feel like you know the your own costs like uh running a stall has has risen a lot recently or is it about the same over time uh can be quite stable only only thing is the uh, uh electricity gas all is coming out other than that, uh, renter uh, doesn't harm me much. Uh. Right. Right. I, I just need to jump in because um, Uncle Arthur is on a very different rental scheme oh, as okay. compared to um, new hawkers. Right. So, um, I mean, we are... Yeah, for us. Uh, for us, different... Our rental, uh, our rental, is, our rental is like... Let's not. Let's not. Um, the the new bidding system uh, introduced over the past uh, late uh, after the twenty ten. So basically, every um, every month, uh, NEA will post uh, uh, a bulletin, uh, basically saying which stores are available for rental. Then you use your SingPass and then you bid for your store. And uh, in terms of bidding, what you bid uh, is completely up to you. So I can bid as low as a dollar. And I can bid as much as ten thousand dollars. Who will do that? But never mind. There's someone that has done that already. Yeah. Wow. Um, uh, th- Chompang, right? Was it? Yeah. It was yes, in the Chompang. news. It was in the news about about a, a few months ago, lah. Ten thousand dollars for yeah, 10, the store. for a drink store. Right? <laughs> I can't with with my with my hipsterized uh, beer store. I can't even <laughs> pay a ten thousand dollar rent. Don't need to say about them. Yeah. Um. So 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 that's the new change. Uh. So. Uh, uh, like all good businessmen, we'll not talk about how much our rents are, but I can safely say that Uncle Arthur's rent is twenty five percent of what I pay. Wow! Yeah. Uh, so around that, around that figure, lah. Uh, for around around the same, right? I would say. I think my rental is higher than yours. I think I so. Also. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of electricity bills, but but I think so also. Yeah, yeah. So so. So that's kind of the difference in terms of uh, it's like a legacy issue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he was grandfathered in. He was grandfathered in. Uh, it's it's very hard to remove because once you remove, uh, all these hawkers who are basically at retirement age will just. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> why would they bother? Yeah. Why would they okay. bother saying? So, so why did this change happen then? Um. I I think probably because they have been through the hard hardship of being a hawker and they they don't want their kids to follow their footsteps right, right and because there are a lot more other opportunities and work opportunities for 
their kids. So they would rather their kids find a better job, a more stable job as compared to being a hawker. Right. Like, because like staying in the office, doing a nine to five job is a lot more stable than being a hawker. But you have chosen to give up an office job to become a hawker. Because I have a different dream and passion because I love cooking, eating, and I want to know more about um, how, to, how, to be, how to bring my food and my cuisine to the people who are less privileged. Right. Because in restaurants, people are paying a lot more for the same kind of food that we are actually serving here. So we want um, more masses of people, people with a lower income who are able to try food that are actually being served in restaurants. So actually Alex and I were previously from an Italian, Japanese restaurant and from there we learned the skill, the crafts. So we were thinking that why, why do people need to pay so much just to enjoy all this uh, fine dining kind of cuisine when um, in the hawker we can actually do the same and the reason being that uh, why people are paying so much is because in fine dining restaurants they are paying for the ambience the aircon and the rental of the restaurants but in hawker because the rent is lower so we are able to also provide like similar style cuisine or food to these people but at lower prices so that was our initial point of thought when we started up this uh, hawker I'm, I'm very struck by what you're saying about providing food to the people right and it seems to me when I think about hawker centers it's it's a social good right you want to have cheap rents in order to provide your people with affordable food. It's kind of like the, no different from subsidized healthcare, subsidized public transport, or, you know, these are all public goods, right? Yeah. As, uh, or, or the government paying for, for security, our police, our, you know, firemen, these are all public goods, right? Subsidizing education. Mm. But it, it seems like from what you said, Tiang, this is not the case anymore, right? So Uncle Arthur here has a subsidized rent, but you guys don't. Yeah, we don't know. And when did this happen and why? This, okay, this happened in the early 2000s. Uh, and uh, basically, they were trying to switch um, the schemes uh, and, and remove all vestiges of rent control. Because, I mean, uh, the only, what happened in the early 60s was that uh, rent control law was passed. Right. Um, in, uh, just to prevent uh, landlords from profiteering. Uh, uh, especially in the city area so uh, that law kind of influenced a lot of uh, how a lot of property that we see now as take, we take for granted like, for example hawker centers so when hawker centers were start up uh, when were, were, were conceptualized in the 60s uh, for me what was interesting was that um, this is a solution that no other country in the world has done uh, in the sense that uh, when faced with a uh, population of iterant hawkers, how d what is the solution? So in most developed um, countries, in most uh, modernizing states, uh, what the solution was is exactly what we see in uh, Thailand now, uh, where they basically just uh, rule by, uh, just they just um, use enforcement, and they prosecute, and they say, look, 
uh, we want to clean up the streets. So that's the common narrative. We want to clean up the streets. Uh, and because we want to clean up the streets, therefore we have to chase uh, street hawkers off. Um, it, and this is, this is, this is repeated uh, in so, so many countries. Um, and and there, are, there are reasons for that. Um, hygiene, cleanliness... Uh, the need for uh, the need for these uh, hawkers to pay rent, so to speak, uh, and and paying rent in and of itself, you know, you uh, generate income for the state, lah. Right. So Excellent. so so that's kind of the situation where 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 Singapore was faced with, and Singapore had a very radical idea, uh, and uh, it's radical because when you think about it, in the sixties and the seventies, right, money was very tight to come by. Uh, there was a huge uh, construction boom uh, for HDBs, so to make sure that everyone had uh, a comfortable uh, living to be in, uh. and that is quite interesting, because um, what happened is that okay, uh, for everyone with context, that uh, that 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 noise is basically a walk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so so that that thing is the thing about this is that what happened was that no. No sane government would say, okay, for these street hawkers, that's a uh, waste a lot of money building huge hawker centers and we'll house them in these hawker centers. That's why it took so long to complete as well because uh, that project started in the late 60s and was only fi- formally completed in the mid 80s. So that was the time when they housed everyone into hawker centers. Uh, and this is a radical suggestion because what basically this is saying is that it recognizes hawker food as a space for uh, 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 providing uh, cooked food to the to, to people at a reasonable price and it's a reasonable price because rent was controlled at a point of time and because rent was controlled at a point of time um, what is happening is basically uh, you have uh, hawkers who made their living and in many many cases made their fortune uh, I just want to also say that uh, making their fortune at a point of time is very rare uh, we're looking at like ten percent of the hawkers who 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 made their fortunes at right. any point of time. And this the, is the eighties. This is the eighties. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. This is this is very very um, long winded. So please bear with me, everyone. <laughs> uh, it's very very Uh So, so this is kind of the uh, this is kind of the the historical background in which uh, hawker centers were created. Now, at the same time, um, Singapore went through a second round of industrialization in the 80s. Right. So that's when we went in, we, we built in um, things like semi uh, semiconductor industry, you know. So more higher value industries rather than in uh, the 60s and 70s, like uh, tailoring, construction, so on and so forth. So these more higher value jobs created disposable income for a newly minted middle class, which meant that a lot more of them could uh, 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 enjoy having food outside. Uh, and, and have more uh, luxurious food and at that point of time in the 80s you, don't, you didn't really have um, 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 air conditioned places uh, how many of them were there there was one in Katong one in uh, you know uh, in, in Orchard Yaohan and stuff like that so so, so these places um, basically uh, were very few and far between so if you wanted to eat out the only option that most people had were hawkers right. and hawker centres and so what happened is basically that uh, the hawker industry experienced the boom at that point in time. And we think about the age of uh, who grew up in, uh, at that point of time. It's basically the current generation of policymakers and the current people who are in the, uh, in the government who 
think of the hawkering trade as you know at that time the good old days right, right. so so that's you know that so nostalgia kicks in lah right, uh, right. but okay. uh, but when you look at it now uh, you have so many more uh, 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 options you know there's a mall in every neighborhood uh, these malls tend to be built on top of MRTs. So right. there is a natural catchment already. Yeah. That's why you come out of the MRT, you go into the basement, you reach a mall already. And for most people, why would you want to eat at a hawker center? Basically, you have to extract yourself from the aircon place, and then you go and makan at somewhere else. You know, so a lot of people don't want to do that, and a lot right. of the young people don't really want to do that. Um, one of my friends brought her colleague over, who's uh, like um, uh, 18, 19 years old, and. Uh, when she came over here She was like Wow I didn't know Hawker Centre got so much food One <laughs> Like Where got You know For us it's like You know like This is so bizarre right Because yeah. none of us um, uh, Think of it in that In, in that way so, so we tend to have That kind of Myopia In, in, right. in, 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 in hawkering Okay so, so So to summarize What you're saying is When we think of the golden age the, When we think of Hawker Centres What we're thinking of Is a really specific period In the 80s Right Not the 60s or 70s and then after the 80s things also have changed drastically from especially since the early 2000s so that's the first thing and second thing it, it, it sounds as if what you're saying is um, that uh, hawker centers used to have far more of a, a monopoly of, of, of choice um, that if you wanted diversity of food you went to a hawker center but today there are so many different options and hawker centers are you know, just one of many. And then the third thing is because of all these different financial pressures, the quality of hawker food, or at least the perception of that quality is going down. People don't go. There's more cutting corners to survive as rents are rising. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean that's kind of it. Um, actually, I'm more interested because um, Arthur was a hawker in the 80s. So the customers last time were more willing to spend, right? Yeah, so, more yeah. willing to spend. Uh, and also uh, because uh, they are... Uh, house uh, uh, all the overhead uh, are, are not so high mm. and they are and they are the renter uh, is uh, more cheaper uh, electricity everything more cheaper than than now and one thing you must know uh, like in our city area uh, the hawker center uh, we only can survive uh, because uh, of uh, the office Right. Office cloud. Right. If without the office cloud, uh, we are very hard to survive. And uh, for like uh, for the town, uh, uh, is uh, because uh, they go to the hawker center. It's because uh, when they go to the market, then they uh, eat food in the hawker center. Right. Night time, uh, they 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 won't they won't go there to eat. Most of them uh, will go to aircon shopping center or maybe uh, they will cook at home. Actually. The, the issue is that because of the convenience of the integrated malls here uh, in the CBD area, so most of the white collar stuff, they will usually just stay in their buildings and just get the food that's below their offices. And they are not so willing to walk over to hawkers where it's hot, crowded and stuffy. But the only chance that they will visit the hawker is that if they need to do some marketing for their groceries, then they will walk by, do some groceries shopping, and then grab some food from the hawker. And on top of that, I think nowadays uh, customers are 
less in less patient about waiting for food. Right. They want everything to be fast. So perhaps that's also one of the reasons why hawkers are also cutting corners, taking shortcuts, not only to deal with uh, the high the right rising causes, but also because of the of the attitudes of the customers. They want us to give fast, good and cheap food. Right. Which it's very difficult for yeah. all hawkers. Yeah. yeah, you can only do two out of three, really. Yes. Right. So, I think that's the that's not that's the many of the pressures that hawkers face, the rising causes, the attitudes of the customers, and more and more integrated uh, shopping malls and offices. Can, can someone explain to me? I'm not clear on this. What's the difference between a hawker center and a food court in a mall? Because a food court in a mall is set up kind of the same way as a hawker centre, right? You've got stalls, you have tables, but it sounds like there's a difference. But they want you to go there to eat, uh, eat yeah. in comfort. Yeah. Because of the aircon. <laughs> is it just that the rents are a lot higher in those places? The, the oh. rents are, I can say, is about three times higher than ah. our, yes. Three, three, three times? At least three times um, higher. I just want to jump in. Uh, the new social enterprise hawker centers have similar rental like schemes a as a food court. Yes. So that's why um, there's so much backlash about, about it. Uh, also, um, in terms of food courts, there really is, there, there are two systems, la, I would say. So the first system is uh, you are, let's say you are a food court operator. Uh, so and what happens is basically you hire all the staff uh, in the food court so basically wherever you spend money right all the money will go into a main parent company right. so places like Food Republic uh, who, which is under the Bread Talk group and so on and so forth yeah. uh, um, uh, all the stores uh, are basically uh, licensed from these various different uh, 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 places okay. uh, and then uh, these places supply the goods uh, uh, from their central kitchens, oh. and uh, and 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 basically whoever who is cooking there is trained by these vendors, who uh, and these vendors uh, uh, basically have a supply arrangement with uh, with uh, food courts, and and all the um, staff is uh, under the Food Republic payroll. I yeah. see. So so that's one system. So the other system is uh, uh, food court, uh, uh, and this is a more traditional landlord uh, situation, like where when uh, where people go in uh, as independent hawkers, and and then they and then they pay rent, and then they set up shop. Uh, the other, the problem is, food courts have like malls; they have uh, they have certain uh, obligations that they have to keep to. For example, you have to open your store from uh, ten a.m. to ten p.m. Uh, or you have to, uh, or, or if you are operating a certain kind of good, you have to open your store from, 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 uh, from very early or very uh, late. So that's kind of the difference, uh, I would say, yeah. in terms of, um, in terms of uh, food courts. Right. Uh, but the most important difference is rental. Rental. Yeah. So um, on on, uh, in in many cases, uh, you're looking at a at a at a, at a rental at a central located uh, food court store you're looking at about 4,000 to 5,000 before utilities wow so and and a lot of people like to joke wow Orchard Road the per square foot very expensive and then I always tell people like there is no per square foot more expensive than 
than a hawker store because uh, yeah. it, uh like a uh, like a food court store because like it's one it's like 300 square foot at the max you know paying five thousand dollars you know it, it it breaks down to about like uh 15 16 dollars per square foot yeah. oh. <laughs> so oh so God. so so you can imagine lah so uh uh and about and so so it's very difficult to explain to policy makers because uh there's this um imagination that uh you're looking at a situation where food courts and 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 hawkers are not efficient that's yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. that's 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 a huge part of the conversation hawkers are not efficient but that's not the case uh, you know like 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 what Arthur said you know we the amount of cut, cutting corners can only be possible if you have uh, centralized kitchens and factories making these things yeah. that allow you to cut corners. Uh, one of my uh, one of my friends who's a fishball factory owner likes to joke that uh, it's very obvious when there's a recession, uh, and this recession will be predicted three months before anyone else. Uh, when hawkers start buying his cheapest fish balls. That's when the recession is coming. Oh God! <laughs> so the, the the so so that's kind of that's that's you know there is no business more efficient than hawker store. Yeah. So so that is difficult to explain. I mean, when I look at uh you know the kind of output that your stalls have, and really it's just each of your stalls has two people, and that's it, and you're producing so many meals. I mean, I mean, uh, after after can share more about like uh. Like, what is the most, what is the biggest change in terms of like what was usually done by hand, and now is done by a factory? Uh, I think uh, done by hand, uh, mm. you have to take more time, uh, right? You have to uh, put in a lot of effort. Uh, anyway, uh, I think uh, the food uh, taste uh, will be more more different. Uh. Yeah. Not yeah, it's in it'll, it'll taste quite similar. That's the thing. That's why a lot of hawker stores tend to taste very similar. Yeah. Because there are only a few suppliers in the market. Like fish balls, like. Yeah, you like uh, some of, you know, uh, some of the fish ball noodle uh, store, uh, their standard also drop uh, because uh, they start buying uh, this fish ball uh, from supplier. Where last time uh, they used to uh, uh, make the fish ball by themselves. It's really different. And that takes a lot of time. Yeah, take yeah. a lot of time. Do 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 you still make all your own, in, you know, cut all your own ingredients? Or yeah, you... I cut my 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 own ingredient. Oh, I, wow. sh- I I do shopping my own. How how much time does it take every day to just prepare the ingredients? Uh, actually, uh, I take about nearly three hours uh, to prepare everything. Uh. <laughs> So, wait, uncle, what, what? Tell me about your day. This is this. I uh, just just to clarify. So, like, you. What time do you wake up in the morning? Uh, about eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. Yeah. And then you. Uh, I go market. You go market. Yeah. Okay. And that's how long? Uh, take about one hour. Then okay. come back. Okay. Uh, the clean up the fish, cut the fish. Yeah. Right. So that's about three hours. Yeah. So when do you come here? No, when I uh, oh. that means uh, when I reach here, uh-huh. uh, at about eleven, okay. then I start cooking. Okay, okay. And then, what time do you open? Uh, open at, at eleven. Oh, okay, okay. So you you start cooking, uh, but you open already uh, at eleven. Yeah, because uh, I have my ingredient all 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 prepared. Okay, okay. Then um, you said most of your customers are lunchtime. Uh, lunchtime, oh, yeah. Okay. 
so that's roughly 11 until about 11 and until about uh, 2.30 or 3 2.30 yeah. okay but then you open the whole day no no, no. I open until about about 5 o'clock okay okay and then after that you're done for the day uh, done for the day okay. and uh, we uh, we start the preparation uh, for the next day uh. oh okay okay and but that's uh, when you say preparation for the next day that what is that what would you doing like preparation uh, to uh, you know uh, when you know uh, for our food uh, so after that uh, when we close uh, we, uh, we have to sort out everything like veggie uh, we have to sort out those are uh, uh, non good uh, we have to cut it away right uh, I, I think I think it's like ingredient preparation. That's why he can shop at eight. So so whatever that he buys in the market at, uh, at eight a.m. on that day itself uh-huh. is for ingredient preparation for uh, the next day. Right. Yeah, so 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 Uncle Arthur usually says oh, until like seven. Around around there Around there Yeah, around there lah. So uh, so ingredient preps about after from five to eight that kind of thing. So so he only re- he only leaves at about nine. Okay. Yeah. Then the day starts again at eight lah. Right. The next day. Yeah. Uh, uh, Uncle Arthur's schedule is very relaxed already because he retired. Yeah, uh, retirement mode already, right? Uh, children all grow up already. So okay. So so I mean, don't the the, the reality is that a lot more hawker uh, hawkers who still need the money have a more punishing uh, schedule, lah. Right. Yeah. Um, and and if you're gonna do traditional food like this, uh. That is the kind of schedule that uh, okay. this schedule is dream the dream. Oh right, <laughs> yeah, it, it yeah, does it, sound okay. Yeah, it sounds like a right. ten-hour job, but but most hawkers will have to do like uh, fourteen, fifteen hours. Uh, it, it's a minimum. Yeah. What What about you, Yuting? What is your schedule like? Here? My schedule is usually the day for us starts around like ten thirty, then we also end about ten p.m. So somewhat like Uncle Arthur, our day okay. Usually, after lunch hour, we'll be doing preparation work for the following day. Right. Then, uh, that's when we also do... Then, at the end of the day, we also do a stock check on our food items and our ingredients. Uh, see what do we need to purchase and order for the following day. So that we can continue to do prep and then make sales. Uh. So, the difficult part about being a hawker is that we have very little and... Uh, limited storage space because uh, of the small kitchen that we are having so we need to optimize our chillers, freezers and our storage space so we can't hold too much food in our kitchen and then we need to manage our storage space as well as our ordering goods oh and, wow yeah. so it's a complicated Sort of just in time logistical operation as well. Yes. I see. You so don't have to think about that. It's, it's different from like when it's different from a big restaurant or a hotel or a food court where they do all the centralized ordering and marketing for each and every store. So actually, each and every hawker store runs like one restaurant where they have to manage their inventory food supplies and even cutleries and things like that so for a hawker to run or successfully they have to manage many things at one goal 
So they don't only manage the customers, they have to manage the logistics, the inventory, the food items, the disposables, the plastic bags and things like that oh, that wow. you have to order. So it's, it's really a um, small little business. Uh. Oh yeah, yeah. So unlike, unlike for people who are working in the food court, they are just employees. So to them, every day when they go to work, it's just to cook the food or serve the food that's already have been already pre-prepared for them from the central kitchen mm. but in hawker you have to do everything by yourself from step zero all the way to you serving the food to the customers yeah so and for us who there's only two of us so at times it's quite tough because um even if you have a sales volume sales for us to do but with only two manpower and limited storage spaces, there's so there's only so much we can do to earn our sales and revenue every day. So sometimes people might be asking us, why why do we close so early? Why didn't we prep so much food when you know that it's Friday night and things like that? But have they ever thought of the difficulties that we face when we are managing our storage, our mm. chiller space and things like that? Yeah it's, yeah, it's not that we don't want to do the sales, but it's because we are having some this kind of limitations. That's why we are facing such difficulties uh, to make a lots of revenue. Yeah, so that makes so much sense to me. I mean, I've heard this stereotype, you know, of uh, oh, that stall, they just want to sell enough. You know, they make enough money, they'll just close shop and go home. They they don't want to work hard. You know, but when you you explain it that way, I realize. You need to close, otherwise you yes. won't. Yeah, you won't be ready for tomorrow. Yeah. And you, if you don't, if you run out of stuff, you literally run out of stuff yes. because you only have so much storage space. You can't like build up a buffer. Yeah, that's why. Right. Sometimes when people say things like, "Oh, they definitely have made enough sales for the day. That's why they are closing." Uh, when I hear things like that, I feel quite disheartened because the thing is that. Who, who in the right mind don't want to make sales? Yeah. It's, it's not that we are trying to be difficult, but it's because of our storage space and us uh, ordering the inventories from suppliers. Sometimes it's difficult because we need to hit the minimum order when we order from suppliers. So it's maybe we can, the most that we can order from supplier is probably once a week because of the minimum order sales. Ah. Then, when just happened that for that week we run out of this item, then we have no choice because the next order will only come next week when we order from the supplier. So, they have to understand that we are not like a big restaurant or a hotel where we have space to stock up a lot of food. And to, they have to understand that these are the limitations that hawkers are facing right. so we it's not that we want to we don't want to provide them with uh, all the items that we have but because of these limitations and people have to be more understanding it sounds like so we've got all these factors that we've talked about making life extremely difficult for hawkers you know increased competition the changing nature of uh, the industry but what we also have is increased 
experimentation then because it seems like policymakers are trying different ideas, right? And in Sotia Liang, this social enterprise, you know, you mentioned they, they, that they are very expensive too. The rents are very high. And that doesn't make sense to me. Can you tell me more about the social enterprise hawker centers? Why are they so expensive? I think Yuntin can answer more as well because I don't really have hawkers who are stupid enough to uh, go <laughs> into social enterprise hawker centers and, and I, you, you, you know a few, right, who are there? Uh, okay, actually, initially, yeah. we were looking at uh, the hawker center that is in Passeries that newly set up this year, beginning of this year. So we went for we went to check it out and we went to get an application form. So we were very hopeful at the beginning because since we are looking for space and Passeries Hawker seems to be a good location because they differentiate between uh, more hipster food and a traditional hawker. So we wanted to be we wanted to get a store at the hipster level. Can I just ask, how, how, what's the distinction between hipster food and traditional food? It's irrelevant. It's really pointless because uh, when you think about it, it doesn't really matter. It's yeah. basically providing different cuisines at different price points, number one. Number two is also that uh, if this, this isn't a new thing. Uh, in terms of like new cuisines so, uh, of sorts entering the market when you think about uh, 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 Japanese uh, 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 food shops in hawker centers like no one says no one talks about how they are hipster food right like uh, and, and, and they sell like uh, bentos and they sell like stuff like that you know and it's very Singaporeanized it's very uh, it's very Singaporeanized Japanese food yeah. there's a soup there's rice there's something fried you know stuff like that you know it, it, uh, and, and the only way that they look um, they look like uh, they look like a um, uh, a, a hipsterized store is that you know they sell Japanese food la, and their rice is short grain rice so, so wait so on the, the but this is a technical category that you you, you think you're saying that they would the the pasta uh, social enterprise recognize a difference between yes. so they they, ca- they have two categories one is traditional food traditional hawker food as they say yeah. and the other one is a hipster fusion did, did they give a definition i'm just curious what is you know on the official form Actually, or they didn't really give a definition but right. the rental itself there's a difference <laughs> okay yes. what's the difference um i i didn't know i i'm not so sure about what's the difference in the rental rates but i know that the level that is selling the hipster food the rental is a little higher than the one selling the traditional hawker food so at a time when we went to get an application form which cost like ten dollars for one form for a form yes you have to pay for the form yes we have to pay for a form and that's even before us registering ourselves so we took the form then alex and i sat down and we read through the whole form so the most shocking thing about the form was that the on top of the rents that we have to pay we have to pay the usual cleaning fee yes uh, we have to pay for this sales and marketing fee and we also have to pay for this uh, electronic uh, cashless system device that monthly and this is a monthly fee 
So we, on top of the usual rental cleaning fee and such, we have a sales and marketing fee plus a electronic cashless device monthly fee that we have to pay. And all these exclude uh, GST, so we have to pay an additional oh GST. And on top of that, we have to pay a fee to purchase the cutleries that uh-huh. are provided by the company itself, the social enterprise. And of course, you can't bring in your own cutlery. Yes, we can't bring in, and we have to use those that are provided by oh, them. Yes. And there's a small little clause saying that um, these cutleries and uh, bowls and plates are subjected to changes according to the management. So probably if they say that uh, within one year, late, one year later, they want to change all the white plates, or both to black plates and both we have to bear the cost and change oh it to God. the black ones so these are one of the re- one of the reasons why we didn't sign up for well yeah quite because rationally. imagine you have a let's say a nets device machine yeah i have to pay a monthly fee for having yeah. that device at my place but what are the chances that people will use that device yeah. for payment. I also just want to say Nets is giving these machines out for free for the next four years. So it's quite brazen for them to charge for these kind of things. Yes. Um, the POS was what? 150 right? Was it a um, month? 150 a month. 150 just a month. for that device. Yeah. Oh my god. So, so, just for so, using the device. Yeah. A so, device so, that Nets is giving out for free. And, no, and, yeah. and that device, when we, when we ask them, so does this, eva- uh, this device comes with a POS system where we can actually record our daily sales? They say no. This device is plainly one that does the cashless payment. So to us, it's like, uh, this, this device is like, it doesn't even help us in recording our daily sales. Yeah. And we have to give a monthly rental of 150 and in addition, there's a GST charge. And then further on, there's a minimum hours that we have to open daily right. at that place and we have to work for at least uh, six days a week and if we were to go on a long leave like if I were to take a holiday break I need to write into the management to apply for leave what? yeah yes and on top of that um, when we when we need to change man, when we want to change menu to our no. food, we have to write a proposal to change our menu. And also items. subject to approval. Yes, that's right. My and on top of that, the on top of writing a proposal, menu proposal, we have to provide a free food tasting for the management. What? Yes. <laughs> and in addition to what, our menu, <laughs> yeah. In addition. In our menu, it's quite a long contract. in our menu, we have to have one food item that is cheap, which is probably around one item that is two between two fifty to three fifty sing dollars. We have to have that one item that is priced relatively low, and it has to be on the menu. Yeah. I I, I just want to say uh, in sing in in any hawker center around Singapore now uh, I will pay you uh, if you find me a three dollar two fifty to three dollar priced dish, uh, because that price was in two thousand six. Yeah. So basically, we have a situation where uh, you are based, you you have a price that is has stayed constant on one of the largest inflationary forces 
that we use in Singapore to calculate our inflation rate. Cooked food is the largest inflationary source. Uh, we're looking at every year, every every quarter is like a two point five to 3% kind of situation. So basically you're saying that from 2006 to 2018, uh, we have no price increase, you know. We can keep food at two fifty to three dollars. Yeah, so so it's 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 quite rough lah. <laughs> yeah. So with all these conditions, Alex and I didn't chose Pasaris Hawker as as our location. Uh. That's why we ended up in Chinatown complex here. Yeah. Wow. And and actually if you if you really visited the Pasaris Hawker, you have noticed that a lot of the stores are no lo- no no longer operating. Well, I'm not surprised. Yeah, so most of them only lasted for like three months. <laughs> so we are quite happy and glad that we have lasted longer than them. Yeah. So this is the future of this is the future of Singapore hawker. Yeah. Um. Yeah, this is this usually comes as a shock for most people, uh, because they don't see, because the rhetoric is very different on uh, on on in Parliament, right? Because uh, the the rhetoric is all oh, uh, these new management companies provide vibrancy, provide you know new exciting menus, so on and so forth. Um, but the reality is that you this is not the case, lah. Um, uh, they they opened with a with a bang, uh, the uh, and in a few months time, most of these hawkers, a lot of them are first time hawkers, uh, and 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 because they are first time hawkers, they they don't know the full economics yeah. of what makes a hawker store work. So they enter into these arrangements, and 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 of course they bring in their own food and their own uh, 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 interesting you know like cuisine lah. Um, now my problem with that is that. Uh, uh, because they are inexperienced, they, they they don't see, they don't count the cost as clearly as they should. I mean, you think is a is auditor for six years, uh. So for her, when she look at it immediately, she's like, "Wow, warning, warning yeah. flag number one, <laughs> number two, number three, number five. You yeah, know, right. like um, if you're if you know like Net is giving out these uh, machines for free. Uh, yeah, after you have one, right? Yeah, I have one. Free right? Free, free, free right? Uh. Four years no fee right? Uh. You see what I mean? So, 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 so. On one hand, we have this, and on the other hand, these new hawker centers, you know, uh, grandfather in these uh, uh, services uh. The other thing that was not mentioned about these social enterprise uh, uh, centers is that they tend to restrict who you can buy things from. Uh, uh. For example, in the Basiris one, uh, you can only buy gas from uh, uh, NTUC, who. Who, for whatever reason, has owns a gas company as well, <laughs> and if the last I checked, their gas is a bit more expensive than uh, than than most of the suppliers around. Do you buy gas from NTUC? I I don't buy from NTUC. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So 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 there is there is that element la. Um. So it's 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 what sociology likes to call a double bind, right? Yeah. So you have you have uh in you are faced with higher rents, uh you're faced with longer hours, uh and you're faced with a uh, 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 a more uh, mature and uh, uh um, and sophisticated market in which it's very hard for you to to earn your keep, 
and on the other hand you have a situation where you have a uh, have uh, longer working hours and you have uh, and you're faced with having to sell one item of your menu for cheap right that was a linchpin of uh, the national day rally this year right like the one item is uh, will will we'll keep prices affordable by having that one item for for cheap and basically uh, that that seals for me that's that really puts the final nail in the coffin for the hawker uh, for, for the hawker trade because what you're saying is that can't uh, if you go and look at uh, the Google pages of all these new social enterprise hawkers right you look at uh, the reviews the reviews are very indicative of what people are eating because they are saying this place is cheap and affordable very good I can buy laksa for two dollar fifty cents all you know the, the comments are like every it's not every once in a while you know it's like a majority of the comments are boasting uh, how cheap uh, the hawker food is so because of that you know you 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 create a situation where people who can perfectly afford um, uh, paying a plate of for a for a plate of food at like four dollars five dollars right uh, they are of course choosing the the cheaper varieties of food uh, and 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 when you look at your revenue spread right these the food that is being uh, uh, asked for at three dollars it's not going to earn you much because every time you sell a meal it's an opportunity cost so the guy can either pay three dollars or they can the guy can pay five dollars and and most Singaporeans will just will just pay the three dollar option you know uh, of course you want to have quality but the quality is still the same because they have to use the same soup they have to use the same stock they have to use the same ingredients just the volume and the quantity that's all so when you look at it in that perspective then uh, things are a lot more different uh, in terms of uh, what these the, the value that these social enterprises are providing like basically what is happening is that we will uh, we are building a culture of cheap food uh, on the backs of hawkers right wow you know we hear all these stories about you know oh, Singapore doesn't have entrepreneurs doesn't have risk takers but what I'm hearing is that there are plenty of people who are very interested in entering this industry as small businesses and in and the bureaucracy the the government policy really government policy is choking the life out of them right and then they're forced they're kind of uh, exploited and and so because of that rapidly driven out of so why so the problem then is is it is it would it be fair to say the problem is government policy that they don't understand how this works how the whole industry works that you know, is it? I mean, when you look at the, uh, so every year they have a pan, like every few years they have a panel for hawkers, like uh, uh, to 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 talk about the hawker trade, uh, and 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 every single panel from the first, and now we're at the third panel, um, all of them are none of them are hawkers, you know, right. not a yeah. single person sitting in that panel is hawkers. You're looking at suppliers, you're looking at factory owners, you're looking at landlords, you're looking at entrepreneurs. So no one in any committee, right, has sat and has been a hawker. Right. Yeah. And I'm very, com- I'm reasonably confident in that statement because uh, I've been looking at the names uh, uh, of, of who is in these committees and none of them are hawkers, you know. No one knows 
why they're there except them, right? And this social enterprise hawkers uh, was uh, a project uh, in the hawker in the two point in the two point zero report. Uh, I don't know why they put on point zero because hmm. it's one two three. But you know okay, you have okay, to okay, okay. you know it's 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 governance it's government bureaucracy. Uh, got to sound yeah. got to sound cool, uh, right? Yeah, so yeah. you put one point zero, two point zero, three point zero for no reason. What's the decimal point for? Nothing. Yeah. Um, so so uh, it's the two point the two point zero. Uh, basically said that we should experiment in different models of management uh, through the use of social and non-profit social enterprises. Now, the problem is that to be a social enterprise, there is a very low bar in Singapore. In the sense that you can be a social enterprise simply by calling yourself a social enterprise and having targets that are not enforced, by the way, <laughs> of to be socially responsible. Now, how you're going to be socially responsible is completely up to you as a social enterprise hawker, whatever that means. Uh, are you non-profit? Yes and no. Because as a cooperative, you can be profit-driven, but you can promise to move those profits to the benefit of uh, the general public. And in Singapore, when you're a cooperative and you want to move these profits to the general public, right? It's not a contract. It's not audited. It's a pinky promise. You know, mm. like a like like you know, I I promise that I will spend this amount of money on a certain amount of people like that. So that's all. That's all you need to be a profit making cooperative in Singapore. So all these factors coming into play basically means that if you're managing a social enterprise, what's going to happen is that you create you create an entire new layer of middle management. Uh, you have to compensate the layer of new management. Uh, the much vaunted uh, productivity gains are very marginal. Uh, what they gain in productivity is basically buying plates and and cutlery and centralizing the cutlery. But this doesn't necessarily translate to a cheaper cost for hawkers. So some, uh, how much was the dishwashing payment uh, at 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 Pasiris? Let me check. Uh, <laughs> well, it sounds like. This this is a broader problem in Singapore that we keep seeing, right? Labor is highly, highly regulated. Capital is unregulated. And that leads to a scenario where capital is able to easily exploit labor because labor is not only in a position where it doesn't have bargaining power and protection from capital, but the government itself is also oppressing labor. Yeah, so... so you think, will you, yeah? So, for dishwashing service, right, it's $850 per month, subjected uh, to GST. But so, inclu- uh, in- inclusive of a uh, table clearing? No, table, clear- uh, table cleaning services is $550 per month. And on top of that, there's also the service and conservation charges, there is $350 a month. Uh, just on a... Just, just, how much are we paying here <laughs> for, for, for table cleaning? Sapa right, Sapa go right. Uh, uh, three hundred to four hundred dollar. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so it depends on whether your drinks, whether your drink store, or whether you are a uh, your 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 you're selling food. So, food drink store is about three fifty, three twenty, three fifty. About about three hundred. Yeah. Uh, three hundred long. Uh, four hundred. Uh, for the for the takeaway of store like Yuja Kui all these uh, I think about hundred hundred something dollar right, only. Right. Right. 
Uh, I also want to say that we have a merchants association at Chinatown Complex, so uh-huh. we contract and we hire the right. the the cleaning agency, and then we 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 just split the cost equally amongst all the hawkers in in in, in, in uh. So it's, you know, um, but you know, <laughs> obviously there's something up there uh, in this in this situation when you hear about yeah. Yeah. Um, also, I just want to say that um, eight fifty is not a normal quote. Outside in, if you're a high volume hawker store and there are a few in Singapore, most of them have outsourced um, their cleaning to these kind of dishwashing companies. So every morning they they through the logistics network they send uh, blue boxes uh, of of washed cutlery, and then you just use those cutlery, you pack them back in those blue boxes, and then they send back a contract. Of that, uh, it's like $500, $600 a month. Yeah. And you are talking about high volume stores. So basically, stores that have a low margin and churn like 300, 400 plates a day. Uh, and that and, and their dishwashing cost is $500 to $600. It's a reasonable cost because if they have to hire a, a, a store hand to wash the plates, right? You're looking at 1000 And two, most thousand reasonable three. is that uh, they don't charge you for the cockery. Correct. Yeah, you they bring own their own cockery. Yeah, they yeah. provide. They, are using your, they provide cockery. So you don't need to purchase the calories, and they provide you with their calories. But here, you are, you need to purchase for the calories, and you need to pay for the dishwashing. But the thing is, eight hundred fifty per month. If, for example, if your sales is not as high volume as the usual hawker stores, eight hundred fifty a month is a lot on your side. Imagine you don't utilize the centralized kit, uh, washing uh, system. You wash only your own plates. Let's say daily I only sell 100 bowls and only spend uh, electricity and water bills to wash these 100 bowls. It will not amount up to $850. So, I mean, for a new startup, a new hawker, 850 per month is really a lot. I think they really need to re-look on this uh, dishwashing services. It, it will be better and fairer for people to be charged according to the number of plates and or according to the sales that they are doing. I mean, because not everyone have the same volume of sales every day and every month. So it's quite unreasonable for you to charge a flat rate of 850. Yeah. You mean uh, for washing the crockery uh, and uh, also uh, table cleaning? Uh? I mean, table cleaning, if it's a flat rate for everybody, rate, uh. it's, still, it's still quite reasonable because they ensure that all the tables are clean so that customers got place to sit. But the dishwashing uh, service, dishwashing is uh, quite because, high. Yeah, yeah. If we have high volume of sales, 850, yes, it's not a problem. but. I, if I have a low sales every month, giving a flat rate of eight hundred fifty is asking too much. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm quite stunned just listening yes, to. It's all rare things. to see PJ have no words. Yeah. <laughs> when he usually has a lot. Yes. <laughs> uh, so what can we do? What's the solution? Don't have. <laughs> yeah. As in, as in, as in the. I've been thinking about this quite a lot these days. Uh, the simple and bare fact is that um, hawkers, as we understand and know it today, is really an endangered species. Lah. Because what's happening is uh, is that you are, the proposition is simple. Uh, you will need to sacrifice possibly a very well-paying job uh, 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 
relative to ours in more spaces, enter an industry that has very high risk and low returns, work hours that uh, stretch from 10 to 16 hours a day, uh, make food and sell them at a reasonable cost, but they can't be too expensive because Singaporeans don't pay for the amount of food. Mm. Uh, and at the same time, uh, you have Singaporeans being loud into a sense of complacency because all the old hawkers that are sticking around, they're not sticking around because they're making a lot of money from it. They're sticking around because their kids have all grown up. They are in different industries. Arthur, what is your... You're you, you to do something? Your, your son and daughter, what my, are you? Oh, uh, my my son uh, is doing a uh, media work, and yeah. uh, my my daughter in the uh, working in the logistic company. Yeah. So so that's kind of the situation because what's happening is that uh, uh, that that solid lower middle middle class job that you could get and be as a hawker in the eighties is no longer a reality. So. Um, if you want to be a hawker in this day and age, right, you have to have a growth plan that allows you to franchise, that allows you to have a central kitchen, that allows you to have... Oh. Now, this is, again, you're, you might not be decreasing your food standards, right? But that's the, that's the entire reason why uh, this kind of food is very, very uh, rare to find because the, pr- the pricing proposition is just so difficult to con- uh, for you to convince your, uh, your your general public it's 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 tough even on the governmental side it's tough for, it's tough to convince them I once had a very illuminating talk with a civil servant and I said that you know uh, we are sacrificing quality for value and the civil servant said yeah but we can't quantify value uh, we can't count uh, quality we can't count the quality of food so it's very hard for us to 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 incentivize in that in that way and then I'm like yeah you can count value you know it's not you know the the you, uh you can count value simply by the man hours that put in what kind of ingredients you all these all these are things that can be counted right but what is happening is that uh, uh the there is a sea change in 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 how we how how we think of food uh, in 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 singapore and the hawker centers uh it's important to note how the language has changed for hawker food in the 80s and the 70s, no one would tell you, oh, you eat hawker, wow, so cheap, so good. No, hawker food was expensive then. You know, it's not, it was not a, a you know, it was not a point where people had a disposable income to, to randomly spend 50 cents on chakwe tiao, you know. And, and that's the difference, I would say. We, we, we expect too much of this hawker industry uh, and we expect too much of them. To, to, to cover the gaps that is essentially uh, when you have massive income inequality uh, when when uh, when the rich are getting richer the poor are getting poorer uh, and how do you provide for the poor right one of the ways is food stamps that right uh, and but we can't but the ideological disposition for food stamps is not there in Singapore so what do you do? You enforce that new hawkers have to have a menu on their item that is two dollar fifty to three dollars. Yeah. So you can, yeah. It's tough. <laughs> it sounds though that there, there. I mean, if if the government went in and regu- and recognized hawker food as a social good, right? 
would that be a solution or would that just be a distortion of the market and then you know would then say you know restaurants with aircon in 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 their own uh you know lots would they then complain that oh we're our market is being cut out from under us by the government supporting hawker centers i mean i mean uh, i have to answer this uh, sadly <laughs> sorry you have to listen to my voice for another five minutes uh, <laughs> uh, i i mean this this is the, the okay the, the situation is that hawker centers have never been independent subject to market forces it's, not, it's never been uh, based on laissez fair economics right it's never been a situation where there is no government intervention it is heavily government regu- it's heavy government regulation and heavy government intervention that has led to the hawker trade being what it is today right no one can deny that um, if it was like a traditional landlord agreement we would not be seeing what we are seeing today the vibrancy the amount of independent hawkers we won't see it today the so so to say that uh, uh, letting the market do what it needs to do will be very disastrous for the hawker center uh, and the problem is that uh, what where we are now and where the Singaporean government is at now they want to do that they want to uh, be a bit more hands-off in managing the hawker centers right it's that's the reason why despite having a perfectly fine system uh, with NEA that allows for you to uh, um, uh, there's a system basically in place for managing hawker centers they want to outsource it to these companies the hopes is that outsourcing it to these companies will allow you to you know take away a lot more work la, from 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 NEA and that's you know that's that's a very uh, recurrent logic in the system um, and yeah the answer is not as clear as as it is at this point of time um, and in general what is happening is that you know it's it's very hard to give that proposition to most people you know you look at especially when you look at the prices of food in in these massive uh, uh, integrated malls um, you can get a plate for like six seven dollars right and and for most people they can afford at six seven dollars now the question is do you want to walk uh, five minutes to the nearest hawker center just to save uh, $2, $3? And a lot of people aren't, don't want to do that as well. I think, um, I think that's, that's really all I had to ask. I, is there anything else that you guys want to talk about? Anything you think we should... Any, anything you want to anything you want to state about it uh, uh, or, or how to survive uh, in this hawker center <laughs> yeah so Yi Ting why don't you give us some hope how are you going to survive so you uh, what we expect uh, the government uh, to do uh, to make a uh, we hawker center the hawker can survive have you any idea like for me uh, and you, it's a uh, two different category. Because my renter uh, is uh, subsidized, but your one uh, is uh, to market rate. Uh, and uh, the market rate uh, can be uh, uh, up or down uh, the next year. 
me uh, can be say uh, quite stable uh. so uh, they, they must be a way uh, to survive uh. no la, the way to survive is here la, with Arthur la. Oh. Uh, we just need more uh, the, the question is not less governmental intervention the yeah. question at yeah, this point no, of time yeah. is more yeah so we can't so it's it's you you can't have the cake and eat it la, basically this is the situation that the government is wants yeah, yeah. so they want both cheap hawker food but then they want to peg rents at market rates they want to outsource to uh, uh, social enterprises that are clearly not social nor enterprising uh, <laughs> and they want and, and you know and, and they want uh, they, they want a certain uh, image of hawker centres in Singapore for whatever publicity that they want to use on the global stage right so the, the, the answer is very clear uh, the question is whether um, there is enough time to reverse that, that situation uh, and, uh, and, and that's, that's really what's, uh, what, what, hawk, what this is all about, right? Preserving hawker centres uh, will, will take a lot more than just uh, uh, political speeches on, on building more hawker centres. Uh, I feel it, like this is, this is actually a microcosm of the, the government's policy as a whole because in so many areas, they demand, you know, they want affordability for Singaporeans. They want a lower living cost for Singaporeans. Right, you look at the HDB, for example. Um, but then, at the same time, they want market forces, right? Because there's this strange perception that market forces create efficiency, you know, and discipline. And this is impossible to have because market forces will drive price. The point, you know, market forces want to make profits. So this seems to be the central quandary that Singapore is caught in today. I think it's like the government need to do more about understanding the problems and the issues faced by hawkers, especially young hawkers who are trying to carve a business or a niche market in this hawker business. They, they need to understand what kind of difficulties financially um, and in terms of uh, crowd flow and the kind of marketing that government is actually doing to promote hawker to Singaporeans. I mean, with the cheap, uh, affordable food, but you must understand that for hawkers to give affordable food, there are some things that we need help in financially. Like, probably the issue of um, the rental, the dishwashing, and the cleaning table services. Probably if the government wants to really step in to help us hawkers, I think these three rental aspects, they have to do something to help us. Yeah. So, Uncle, what, when you retire, what happens to your stall? It's no longer subsidized then? Uh, I think uh, I won't retire so early. <laughs> bopian, bopian. No choice. Right. You know, uh, if I retire, I, I don't know what happened to me. Uh. Yeah. Maybe all, all the sickness uh, will, will come to me. Uh, um, but to, to keep, to keep no. going, uh, yeah. I think uh, I may uh, uh, keep on working. Uh. Right. But, uh, but, 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 but that's the point I've been trying to make, you see. Because that's, that's the thing. Uh, policy makers only see that 
uh, all these old hawkers are still working so on and so forth their price are like that why can't other people price be like that so on and so forth uh, it's, it's, it's amazing lah. I, I don't understand how they, they, they cannot think uh, in dollars and cents uh. it's very weird uh, but that's what I mean uh, when I, I, I always tell my friends half jokingly you know uh, the hawker trade is a charity <laughs> they work long hours there's very little pay their margins are non-existent uh, uh, they provide food for uh, for the lower income uh, groups. Uh, uh, sometimes they don't even charge them if they know their circumstances and their needs. It's a charity. Um, at this stage and at this point, when you look around in, in most hawker centers, uh, you you look at the general age. You look at how long they've been in this business. You know, you you just ask any of them, what are their sons and daughters working as right now? You know, um, and and you have a very clear answer as to whether they will come back and they will take over the store and, and they will um, um, continue what they are doing because it doesn't make sense uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of being able to afford a living in Singapore. It just, it, it, it just starts to become very, very obscure uh, in terms of value and everything. Uh, Arthur, your, your daughter, son, want to kind of take over? <laughs> uh, I, I don't think so. <laughs> but uh, you think... Uh, uh, will you be happy uh, if uh, the government uh, will lower uh, the market rate for, for the hawker store? Of course. Uh. Of course I will be happy. Uh. But then, if you seriously and honestly think about it, when you look at all these old hawkers, what they have been through, if they were to say that they are having good life now and all, but think about it, they have started this in the 80s and now we are in the 2010s. It took for them 30 over years to be enjoying good life now. So and, I mean, good life is relative. Arthur is almost 70, and, and you're still working you know, 10, uh, 12 hours a day. Because I enjoy good days. life uh, because uh, I got good neighbor. Uh, <laughs> but how is that a, for a 70-year-old person to be working 10 to 12 hours a day? That is not a good life. It's only relative to the kind of suffering that everyone else is doing that it's a good life. Because it's not supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to be retired, have your feet up, you know, go travel when you're, when you're retired. Yeah, That's but, a good life. But the, the reason why people think that they're having good life is because they feel that, hey, all these uncles and aunties are continue on this business is because they are earning a lot. In, you, but you remember Passion Made Possible? Yeah. yeah. So, so, so it all falls back to that kind of uh, rhetoric, right? Because, um, and, and, and for me, like, what... For me, like F&B, right, how it should look like uh, if you want like a good model for stable, family-owned, small restaurants, right? You look at Japan. Like, like when you look at Japan, the food that they sell is not relatively... Uh, the cheapest you get is like 600, 700 yen. Um, the reason is because um, when the property bubble burst in the 1980s, Japan learned a very valuable lesson, which is that if I want to move and I want to drive the economy... I cannot rely on property. Yeah. So and because of the property bursting in nineteen eighties, what happened is that they have they have been steadily adding in infrastructure over over the past 20, 30 years. So there has never been a shortfall of infrastructure in Tokyo per se. And what happened is that basically uh, when you sign leases there, you don't sign a, a lease of one year or two years. Your rent doesn't change uh, uh, dramatically every year when you start to rebid for the store like what we are facing in Singapore what happens is that basically when they sign lease uh, they sign five years is a small lease 
10 years is the norm, 20 years is an outlier but still happening. So when you sign that kind of lease, right, it allows you to have a much uh, longer better term. expectation of your returns. And because landlords then know that if they have learned and they have suffered from the 80s, the, econ- the property bubble that happened in the 80s, most of them understand that the creation of a stable community with various businesses rely and depend on rents that are reasonable, yeah. that are long term, and that are uh, uh, that 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 will allow any business owner to plan properly, and that is what is missing right now because of the ups and downs of the economy and so on and so forth. Uh, we don't have a stable expectation of rent, and that is problematic. So. That's why when people go to Tokyo and they wow, eat this, uh, wow, the quality is so good. Why only 800 yen? Why only 900 yen? Why is it $10? Why is it $12 only? Uh, it's, because that, it's because they have an expectation of how much things should cost in the next 10 years. Their major, um, their major um, problem is settled. Right. That problem, rent, is one of them. And, 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 and that allows them to have better projections uh, in, 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 in a very uh, general sense. Okay, so it's, it's almost 6 o'clock and uh, our guests have to get back to work. Um, the life never ends for a hawker. Work never ends for a hawker. So I want to finish by thanking my guests, Jia Liang, Yi Ting and Uncle Arthur. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, you so much. And I want to encourage all of you to go patronize your local hawker centers and do come down to Chinatown Complex to try um, uh, Smith Street Taps, Sun Seng and Stachi, um, all three of which are excellent, excellent stalls run by wonderful people. And you know, if you have the time, do ask them how things are going. Uh, do tune in next week for New Narrative's regular uh, series on Southeast Asia, Southeast Asia Dispatches. Um, and in two weeks' time, Kirsten will be back and we'll be back to normal. So, um, for <laughs> this is a rather depressed PJ <laughs> uh, signing off for New Narrative's political agenda and see you next time.